from the old National Bank State Street studio. This is Chicago's home for sports. WMVP WSHEHD2 Chicago. A good karma brand's radio station. It's White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. Swing and a drive! Deep left! Gone! That was as hard as a baseball can be hit. Swing and a base hit to left, and the White Sox win it! Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome into White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Another Saturday afternoon here with you talking White Sox baseball here on ESPN 1000. Sox fans, 2024 ticket plans are available now. Be here for the biggest matchups and exciting new promotions throughout the season, including opening day on March 28th. Our ticket plans include great benefits such as ticket exchange program, special events, savings on single games, and more for more information. Visit WhiteSox.com slash 2024. couple of moves for the White Sox here in the last few days. On the minor league side, sure, they made it official with Martin Maldonado and had to let a few players go off the 40-man roster in order to make room. Those are the big headlines. Well, at least those are the big moves for the White Sox. The headlines continue to be the same as they have been. For a week before, or since a week before the GM meetings, we've got more teams potentially interested, reportedly interested, in White Sox starter Dylan Cease. Although, Martin Maldonado did speak with White Sox beat reporters yesterday, and we're going to bring you some of that conversation a little bit later on in the show. Maldonado figures to be a pretty big force inside that White Sox clubhouse and hopefully provides a lot to a young group of pitchers that's going to help push the White Sox here in 2024 uh, back toward where they want to be this year, hopefully next year uh, for sure in 2025. You know, who's going to stay? Can you separate the uh, the guys that are going to be top tier, uh, the guys that can get healthy again, the guys that can rebound um, back into being impactful pitchers for this White Sox team or perhaps somewhere else and, and maybe in trade uh, return some impact players to this White Sox organization. So we'll hear from Martin Maldonado a little bit later on in the show. We've been waiting a while, actually. Uh, December 27th, uh, just after Christmas, is when we found out that the White Sox, I guess it was December 26th, day after Christmas, um, that the White Sox were going to sign Martin Maldonado. We'd waited and waited for the official word from the ball club. Yesterday, the news came. The White Sox announced the deal. Uh, Daryl Van Scowen uh, did some reporting on it as well. The team announced the terms to White Sox do that. They're one of a couple of teams that do that, and I really appreciate that uh, kind of work from a press relations standpoint. I mean, we're going we're gonna to hear these numbers anyway. The agents are going to tell reporters, and then the reporters do what reporters do. Uh, so you may as well just kind of cut to the chase. Anyway, the White Sox announced a $4.25 million deal in 2024 with a club option for 25. Daryl Van Scowen did the reporting on the back end of it. It's a $4 million salary this year and a buyout for two hundred and fifty dollars in 2025 and a $4 million option if they pick it up. So they're on the hook uh, for eight and a quarter. If Martin Maldonado is with the team for the next two seasons, he enters his age 37 season. So obviously, you know, you're, you're signing a catcher who is defense first and, quite frankly, did not have the defensive kind of season um, that he'd had in the past in terms of pitch framing and blocking. Uh, he is still highly regarded in terms of being a game caller and planner with his pitchers. 
Uh, and then offensively, there's there's never been much to Martin Maldonado's game. But then again, uh, that's been the case for a lot of defense first catchers in this game. Back to you know like time immemorial. So anyway, those are the deals, or that's rather the deal on Martin Maldonado. Now the other side of that transaction, adding Maldonado to the forty man roster. And we knew somebody was going to have to get um, designated for assignment to clear space for Maldonado. He's, he's likely to be the opening day catcher, after all, so that, that guy's going to take up a 40-man spot. Utility man Zach Remillard was designated for assignment to clear a spot on the 40-man roster. So, being DFA, the White Sox have a week to trade Zach Remillard or outright him to the minor leagues uh, without three years of service time uh, or a previous outright in his career. He does not have the ability to elect free agency if he clears waivers. Uh, teams obviously have a week to scoop him up as well if they if uh, if the trade if anybody's interested in trading for him. It's kind of sad. I two ways I, I kind of connected with Zach Remillard a little bit, and I, I think a lot of White Sox fans did for the first you know month or so in the bigs. The guy got drafted in the tenth round in 2016, played seven years in the minors, three years at AAA. The guy, you know, a, a lot of players get kind of tagged as like org guys, you know, his bodies in the minors who can. You know, hang out and, and help the top prospects. You know, just kind of be teammates for the top prospects as they make impact in the bigs. And and a lot of guys, you know, are career minor leaguers and are org guys. But you you love for those kinds of players to I don't know take a step in development or or somehow figure something out that makes them just a little bit more enticing than that org player, which, which sounds like a shot, but it's really not. Um, and then they get called up to the bigs. They get their chance, and maybe they stick around for a little bit and, and make that you know minor league minimum life changing money minor league minimum, uh, but minor league minimum to really kind of change the outlook of their career. Remillard's an easy guy to root for in, in that way because he kind of fits that bill. Also, I spent a year working for the Myrtle Beach Pelicans in the minor leagues when I was uh, fresh out of college, and he went to school just up the road at Coastal Carolina. Um, Myrtle Beach in, in Coastal Carolina, it's like 40 minutes away or something like that, maybe even a little bit less, depending on how you drive. Um, but I, I kind of gained an affinity for that school and that team, got to know a lot of people who work in the athletic department there. And then just, you know, that's a team that was at the time, like either had just broken into D1 or was just up. Yeah, they had just done it and then hosted a super regional and then really made a push. Which Remillard on that team <clears throat> that made a one. Um, in the College World Series, I think the uh, the the not the actual World Series itself, but the Super Regionals and stuff like that. So that was, you know, it was cool stuff. It was really cool stuff to be able to kind of connect with Zach on that level. Um, I also got to call his major league debut. Uh, Gordon Beckham and I had the game on the TV side in Seattle, where Remillard was. You know, he accounted for the the two, the RB the game tying and the game winning RBI. Made a couple of good defensive plays as well, and you could just kind of tell that this was in Remillard. A player that fit what Pedro Grafol was trying to get done. Sure, offensively, Remillard proved to be, at least last year, overmatched in his rookie season. Um, but he was willing to use all of the tools in his toolbox, right? All the golf clubs in the golf bag in order to win ballgames. You saw him bunt a lot perhaps too much down the stretch when things got a little bit overwhelming. Um, you saw him play some pretty good defense, though You know, shortstop at the major league level probably isn't uh, where he's going to stick full-time, and I hope he does stick full-time on somebody's roster in 2024. But he can play a lot of different positions, and I think there's a lot of value there. And who knows? 
he could stick with the White Sox if nobody scoops him up, go back to the minor leagues, and perhaps make um, make some appearances for the White Sox in 2024. So Zach Remillard DFA'd and, uh, and, and is subject to the series of events that we kind of designed for you there. They have also, the White Sox, agreed to a minor league deal with uh, two players uh, before the weekend. Brett Phillips, whose name, if you're kind of into the whole baseball Twitter thing or baseball Insta thing, I guess depending on how old you are, uh, Brett Phillips is a guy you've probably seen before. He has a ridiculously goofy laugh. Came up with the Brewers, spent some time with the Royals, teammates with Maldonado on that 2019 Royals team. So he knows, Phillips does, Pedro Grafol a little bit. Two years with the Rays. Phillips was on the 2020 Rays. Didn't play a whole lot in the regular season. Well, I guess he did play a whole lot in the regular season. He got uh, 17 games, which I guess is like where they played 60 that season. I don't know, maybe that's not a whole lot. Either way, had a had a hit. They ended up winning a game in the World Series for the Rays, though they lost that series to the Dodgers. And he sent one out to right field, I think. And then Randy Orozarena, for sure, came around third base, tripped, fell, got back up, fell down again, and then ended up scoring. Rays won that ball game. Dodgers won the series. That was Brett Phillips who had that hit. That's still one of the one of the absolute craziest endings to any ball game. I mean, definitely a World Series game that that I've seen. Um, and it was a it was Brett Phillips, an overall all around good guy, who got it done. Spent some time with the Baltimore Orioles and uh, Angels in the last two seasons. Last year's age twenty nine season with the Angels, hit one seventy five with a two sixty eight on base and a three thirty three slugging percentage. Phillips is a one eighty seven career hitter. The bat is, is not what makes him uh, an impact player. He has played very good defense in the past, though last year was a bit of a down year defensively for him. And he can steal you some bases with good speed. He's got to get on, though, in order to do it. In 2021, it was uh, kind of by far his, his largest playing experience, um, the largest uh, sample size of playing experience. Played in 118 games, 253 at-bats, hit 206 on base of 300. Slugged 427. He hit 13 home runs in 2021 and stole 14 bases. So, I mean, if you can, if Brett Phillips is is ended up being or ends up being your fourth outfielder for a little bit in 2024, you could do far worse. Um, I, Phillips, again, one of those kind of clubhouse guys. We're going to hear from Martin Maldonado in a little bit here on the show, teaser. He's going to talk about a winning attitude, a winning culture, and having players in the mix that have been there before. Phillips is a guy who has been there before, making that run to the World Series with the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, Phillips is a guy who was on the Orioles last season, for par- uh, two seasons ago for parts of that, as they kind of made their run toward the playoffs, fell just a little bit short. He has been um, in and around that kind of winning culture at times in his career. He is also, as we mentioned a few times, one of the good dudes, you know, funny in the clubhouse, a, a good glue guy. Again, it's a minor league deal with Brett Phillips. Uh, Mark Feinstein, Mark Feinsand, pardon, of MLB.com, uh, and Daryl Van Scowen, who we mentioned already, uh, tweeted out the news. It's a $1.2 million deal if he makes the bigs. Nightingale, Bob Nightingale of the USA Today had the money itself. Uh, but again, this is, you know, the White Sox had a lot of depth in the outfield last season and, and didn't get to one of the guys, Victor Reyes, and, and didn't use uh, Jake Marisnik all that much last season. I think he played in nine games in total. 
the mix in the outfield right now, Andrew Benintendi in left, Luis Robert Jr. in center, and then, you know, some kind of combination of Gavin Sheets and Eloy Jimenez and Oscar Colas, I, I guess, um, and maybe Brett Phillips and perhaps some others um, would mix into right field. We, we still haven't heard from Romy Gonzalez a whole lot. I think that'll be an interesting spring training update once we get there. The shoulder issue really sidelined him for, for a bulk of the year. He was not successful when he was healthy and able to play, unfortunately, but the White Sox tucked up his ability to shift to a few different positions, second base and, and right field, quite a bit. So we'll see what that right field mix looks like. I think, though, part of what that right field solution may entail is if the White Sox proceed with what they're reported to be proceeding with, a, a, a trade of starter Dylan Cease, it may well be that the guy who plays right field is part of that trade. I'm not saying that that's necessarily the headliner that the White Sox would pursue in that trade. It's been heavily reported that they'd like to get some starting pitching back for Dylan Cease, and you know maybe maybe that's your top get is that an organization's starting pitcher that you can kind of bill as a top prospect, and right field is or an outfielder who can play right is kind of more the secondary addition in that deal. Um, but maybe that's part of the the next couple of weeks for the White Sox here now that we've hit 2024. Uh, Chad Cool was added to the roster as well on a minor league deal. Cool is a uh, six foot three right hander. Um, now with the White Sox after coming up to the big leagues with the Pittsburgh Pirates in 2016. Had um, a, a good year in 2020 with the Pirates, an ER play, ERA plus of 106 in 2020, 46 innings of work. He started nine games. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether or not the White Sox see him as a starter or reliever. Again, a minor league deal for Chad Cool. Um, may well be a guy that makes some starts at some point in the season. Could very well be a guy who's a, a valuable piece at the Charlotte level and, and in that rotation. White Sox have a couple of arms. You know, whether it's Nick Nestrini or Jake Eater or uh, Jared Schuster or perhaps even Kai Bush, all players, mostly players that they've added into the mix here. Oh, and Christian Mena, I should not forget Christian Mena, who had a great season last year, a White Sox um, farmhand who's really burst onto the scene as a top prospect for them. Um, but you wouldn't want, like, each and every one of those guys starting at AAA to be prospects that you've kind of got to manage. You like to have a veteran in that mix so you can kind of hand the ball to and say, go get him. Uh, perhaps Chad Cool is that guy. Or, or maybe he serves a whole lot of different purposes um, in 2024. So anyway, Brett Phillips on a minor league deal, Chad Cool on a minor league deal as well. Those are the two additions uh, to the White Sox here recently. And then, of course, obviously, Martin Maldonado made official on Friday afternoon. You'll hear from Martin Maldonado in just a little bit here on the show. But coming up after the break, I want to get into some of the latest Dylan Cease reporting. There's a lot, um, and perhaps talk about some other moves around the bigs as well. I'm Connor McKnight. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. FM 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome 
Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. You can give the gift of White Sox baseball with a holiday flex pack starting at just $49. Get six ticket vouchers redeemable for more than 60 games throughout the 2024 season. Plus, get early access to opening day tickets. Learn more at whitesox.com slash holiday packs. We'll hear from White Sox new starting catcher, Martin Maldonado, just in a little bit. But... The news, I mean, other than the White Sox adding Martin Maldonado, which they made official yesterday, and Brett Phillips and Chad Cool on minor league deals, the news is, of course, well, the latest on Dylan Cease. Cease is a highly sought-after pitcher this offseason. We've been talking about it, I think, in each and every White Sox weekly episode since two weeks before the winter meetings. No, the GM meetings here in this offseason. Uh, the White Sox having uh, made a couple of trades of course, at the deadline last year that certainly revamped their roster. Or maybe the better way to put it is revamp the minor league system uh, and are looking to revamp the roster as they go. The big feet have weighed in. Ken Rosenthal, John Heyman, uh, let's see, who else? Oh, uh, Bob Nightingale, uh, Bruce Levine. I mean, these guys have all done their reporting here over the last week or so. And Ken Rosenthal, we'll start here uh, in The Athletic, just on Thursday wrote his little write-up about... Dylan Cease, and the New York Yankees. Uh, It's titled, What I'm Hearing About the Trade Market for Dylan Cease, and I'll kind of paraphrase some of it as I go through and kind of set some things up here. Uh, He says the Yankees are not simply exploring the top remaining free agents, Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery. They're they're also looking after one of the best starters available in White Sox righty Dylan Cease. He writes, the White Sox are weighing offers for Cease, the Yankees and Orioles are among those to express what he quotes sincere interest, according to Major League sources. Other teams are also serious. While the list of exact suitors is not known, the Dodgers, Cardinals, and Red Sox are among teams possibly in the mix. We talked about the Red Sox potential fit with the White Sox last week on the show. Remember, they traded Chris Sale to the Braves then signed him to an extension just the other day. Um, but they're still looking to add some starting pitching, and the Red Sox have a whole lot of outfield depth throughout their minor leagues, while some guys that had tasted the majors last year, like Sedan Rafaela, um, and then some other minor league depth as well, most of it in the outfield. Not all of it, but most of it. Uh, so perhaps, you know, the White Sox looking for out- outfielders, right field specifically, that could be a fit. Anyway, um, he writes that the Yankees, who obviously lost out on Yoshinobu Yamamoto, he went to the Dodgers, uh, are looking at pitching and might not be too thrilled to add Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery at what's probably going to be $150, $175, 200000000 million for each from Dylan Cease, like we've talked about for, for weeks now, um, is expected to cost something around $25 million over the next two years of his arbitration control. Now, here's a paragraph that he writes. And I'll, I'll read this word for word from Ken Rosenthal in The Athletic. I highly recommend you uh, hop yourself over to it and read it yourself. The White Sox, he writes, trying to inject additional talent seem virtually certain to move Cease, their most valuable trade commodity. They are staying open-minded on the composition of the return and not necessarily inclined to favor a team that could include Major League Reading pitching, sources said. That's a little bit of a surprise to me because we've – and he specifies that they're not necessarily demanding Major League Ready pitching – I, I would hope that you're getting major league ready outfield play in return for Dylan Cease. 
mostly because this roster could use a right fielder um, for a whole lot of different reasons. I mean, the White Sox have been searching for that position for a little while, and being able to solve it with a Dylan Cease trade would be great. But if that everyday right fielder isn't in this trade, you know, isn't the headliner, perhaps it's you know kind of like we've seen before. Um, perhaps some some t- maybe a bit like the Dodgers deal where Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly went to the Dodgers. I guess it was separate deals, um, and then coming back, Trace Thompson was a major league ready guy or a guy who had played in the majors. And I'm not talking Trace Thompson level. I think for Dylan Cease, you're getting a little bit higher level play of major league ready guy. You know, but Nick Nestrini is the big name in that deal. But Trace comes back in that trade and is able to man the outfield for the White Sox on the in that season and in that roster. Maybe you're getting somebody that's you know maybe aged out of a prospect curve or is getting squeezed out of position um, by a couple of other more highly talented players, a bit of an older prospect who's come on lately, something like that. Somebody who the White Sox have a lot of at bats to hand uh, and let them run, and maybe you maybe you catch lightning in a bottle, or, or maybe even better than that in a deal like Dylan C's. Um, anyway, Rosenthal continues, uh, the Orioles, who have the game's top farm system, are seemingly better positioned than the Yankees to make a trade and almost certainly more inclined to go that route than pay for an expensive free agent. We've been talking about that for a long time. And remember, the Yankees have tapped their minor league system um, to trade for Juan Soto, right? I mean, it's they've, they've already picked up Soto and Trent Grisham and Alex Verdugo and, and have kind of sapped away some of the depth of that minor league system in so doing. Uh, the Dodgers are still looking at, uh, at pitching, Rosenthal writes. The Cardinals, who have already added Sonny Gray, Lance Lynn, and Kyle Gibson for a little under $100 million of outlay uh, for the coming season, still looking for controllable starting pitching. The Red Sox and, and are, are still interested, like we talked about, but he does write that the Braves and Reds, two early suitors for Cease, no longer in the mix. The Braves obviously picked up Chris Sale. Um, the Reds got Nick Martinez and Frankie Montas rather than meet the White Sox price. Remember, we talked about those reports from uh, Bruce Levine that kind of detailed the ask that he'd heard the White Sox make of the Reds. It was a, a large prospect return. I mean, in terms of, of quantity, right? Um, they were looking for five players in that particular report. So it'll be really interesting, of course, and as it has been for a long time here, to see just how the White Sox position themselves around a trade of Dylan Cease, if indeed that's where we're headed. I mean, Rosenthal knows his stuff, right? I mean, this isn't – he's Ken Rosenthal for a reason. And, and it while it it does hurt a little bit to have to be talking about a trade of Dylan Cease, that's not where you wanted to be entering the 2024 season. You know, we've gone, you know, 10 rounds, I feel like on the, the pros and cons of a trade of Dylan, the, the pros and cons of keeping Dylan, and you certainly can see how trading him probably makes the White Sox better uh, faster than keeping him. Though the argument can be made on the other side, and I, I would love for that argument to be made. I, I just really like watching Dylan cease pitch. It's a lot of fun. He actually, you know, I don't know if you saw this. I think a lot of people have because Pitching Ninja is such a huge deal now. Rob Friedman uh, had had coined the term swords. It's when a bad swing happens and makes a hitter look silly. I I think swords comes from, I actually don't know this one. I guess it's from the Benchwarmers, a movie. I've I've, I've not seen it. Um, But there's some reference to, to, I don't know, sword swinging or something like that when a guy swings and misses. Anyway, Cease led the majors in swords 
which has now been formalized on MLB.com. I think it's a baseball savant thing. He led majors in sort, made, made, led majors in uh, in making hitters look foolish. I mean, like actually look foolish. Sword swings are really funny to watch. Uh, he had 45 of his 55 swords with his slider, uh, one of baseball's most valuable pitches, uh, the most pitch valuable pitch in baseball in 2022. So that was yeah, just, uh, kind of a fun way to work in the fact that swords are now an official stat kept by baseball savant. I don't know that teams are going to be sorting the swords and then signing pitchers accordingly. Like, I don't think you're looking for the most swords in a season. You're still looking to win games. And that's a fun thing to keep track of. I mean, we've kept track of weirder things in baseball or, I guess, less significant things in baseball. Uh, but now we've got swords. So that's a fun thing. Anyway, I, I think it's a very interesting thing for the Yankees to have jumped in on this. If for no other reason than it means that the Red Sox and Yankees are both in on this. And when those two teams compete, whether it be on the field or in the offseason, baby, you got a stew going, right? I mean, there's, there's, <clears throat> there's competition mounting here. Um, and I don't think, I mean, you look up and down at AL East, and I think you can make arguments for every team to continue to push every other in that division and, and get themselves to a playoff spot. I, I think the Red Sox are probably one of the teams that are farthest away. Um, you know, and certainly cellar dwellers are cellar dwellers, but but I, I don't know that you're that far away from making a push in that division. Um, you know, the Rays traded Tyler Glass now, and, and you know they're always going to find somebody new. The Orioles are a, a prospect-laden team, and it, it feels like they make the most sense because they've got as much as any other, more than any other team to trade from, right, with that prospect depth. Uh, in fact, in a piece in the New York Post that was written by John Heyman on January 4th, so back on Thursday, he kind of went through some some trade targets and rumors and notes that he's hearing, and there's just kind of a liner toward the end of it, and it says, the prospect-heavy Orioles make the most sense for Dylan Cease, but the sides were still apart in talks. That's it. That's the only line. In the whole thing, and in fact, it's the last line of the report in the post from John Heyman. Um, so that's in there, and you know, frustrating to me, I guess, just as a guy who watches baseball, looking to see good baseball get played, and really kind of liking that Orioles team as we saw them come to Guaranteed Rate Field two years ago, and and watching them a little bit last year. That's a pretty likable team, right? I, it's fun. It's got some dynamic players. Adley Rutschman is. Everything you could ask for, and Gunnar Henderson really showed up down the stretch as well. Um, those are two young players poised to be the spine of that defense for a good long time. What they need is impact pitching. Grayson Rodriguez is great. They need a lot more. And Dylan Cease is a you know a, a relatively low-paid ad for them for $25 million over the next two years. Um, another report in the New York Post from Joel Sherman, which came yesterday had the Mets among the teams that continue to check in on White Sox starter Dylan Cease. Those are the first few words of his report. Now, the Mets are an, are an interesting ball club because of well, the ownership, right? Steve Cohen is, is willing to spend as much as he wants to pay for his ball club. And then he's not going to let, it looks like, he's not going to let last year's setback, despite the outlay of cash, keep him from uh, adding to what they need in order to make moves. He's got one more line in this that, that really kind of um, 
you know, kind of peaks the ears or raises the eyebrows. Here's the quote from, um, again, this is Joel Sherman in the Post. Executives who have checked in on Cease have said that the White Sox asking price had been three premium prospects. But the beauty is in how a team values prospect, he writes. So in the end, this could take one no-doubt prospect, and then which group of two or three other prospects the White Sox rate highly, most highly from those suitors. You know, that's, it's interesting. It, it kind of jives with what we talked about last week with, uh, with, with Bruce Levine's report um, about wanting those top-tier prospects and then more, right, and then some add-ons in that deal. The White Sox have been, if nothing else, acquiring depth in this offseason. They've got starters. They've got backups. And in a lot of cases, the backups have backups. But they need more impact players. You know, that's that's the that's what they're going to need in order to get themselves back to the playoffs like they want to be and 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 like and, and quickly, you know, not taking a whole lot of time in terms of um, you know, tearing it all down to the studs and 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 rebuilding from the, you know, 19-year-old prospect level. You you want to do this faster than that. You want to do this faster than that. And I, I think a way to do that is by trading Dylan Cease, keeping Luis Robert, and building around the prospects that you do have um, and some of the intriguing pitching prospects that you have. However, in terms of prospect return, it, it's really difficult. And we went through it a little bit last week, but it's really difficult to um, – or maybe it's better – it's easier to put it this way. It's really easy to go up and down the prospect system right uh, an MLB pipeline or anything like that and this is not to this is not to throw anything at those who rank these systems this is just to say that there is like like Sherman wrote beauty in the eye of the beholder right it may well be that there are a couple prospects on that top tier list for the Baltimore Orioles um, that the White Sox know enough about to say eh, we don't think this guy's gonna work out or you know I, I think back to um, you know, just some of the high-risk prospects that we've seen come up through the years, guys like Alberto Mondesi or maybe Javier Baez, guys who have, in, in Baez's case, absolutely seen the highs of his profile uh, hit, finishing runner-up to Kristen Yelich in the MVP voting in 2019, but also seen the dip later on in his career. And when you're, when you're trading for top-tier prospects like that, you're looking to secure, yeah, the ceiling, no doubt about it. But when you're making this deal, the Dylan Cease deal, you also, I would think, want a very high floor, maybe more than anything from a, a couple of those players. So you wouldn't want one group, let's say the top three players in, or, are in an organization, have a lot of you know potential bust in that profile, either because they haven't played a lot of baseball or they're more athlete than ball, but, you know, whatever, something like that, above a starling or something. What you're looking for is to diversify the portfolio some, right? Maybe one of the prospects in this trade is the high ceiling and, and potential bust guy. And one of the guys is a very high floor, but maybe a little bit lower ceiling. And, and the other, you know, has, has something different still. Um, I think being able to diversify by quantity, by bringing in a good number of those prospects, which is something that Getz was able to do, well, it, not prospects necessarily, but bringing in a good number of players, he was able to do in the deal with the Braves for Aaron Bummer, right? You kind of see that proof point hit in that particular trade. So 
something to think about on that end. Anyway, that's the latest on Dylan Cease. There will likely be more, and it may change as soon as we hang it up today, too. But that's what next week's White Sox Weekly is for. Stay tuned. When we come back after the break, you're going to hear from new White Sox catcher Martin Maldonado. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. 1000. White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. You can stay out of the elements in 2024. Located on the 200 level behind home plate, the Guaranteed Rate Club offers all-inclusive food and beverage, in-seat service, and complimentary parking. Plans start at 20 games. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash GRC or call or text 312-674-1000. Welcome back to the show. Told you earlier on, after we got through all of the Dylan Cease new rumors, oh yes, another week where there are Dylan Cease rumors about. I I would imagine that there would likely be a deal coming before the start of spring training, but you never know. I mean, as we talked about in the first half hour of the show, White Sox have plenty of reasons to keep Dylan Cease on the roster and probably as their, well, definitely as their opening day starter for 2024. Uh, He certainly... Adds a lot to the White Sox rotation. Uh, they're not projected to have a very strong one. Although some of that, yeah, I mean, obviously the projections for Eric Fetty coming over from the KBO, um, those systems are a lot better at projecting what players, um, e- either from the KBO or for the MPB, um, coming back are going to be able to do. And, and certainly the Pakota projections for Eric Fetty are, are really good. Um, either way, Cease is, is a cut above, and uh, with everybody that they've brought in, they're banking on some reclamation projects to hit here. Uh, that's neither here nor there when it comes to Maldonado, or or maybe maybe it is right there when it comes to Martin Maldonado, because a big reason, and it became official yesterday, Martin Maldonado, I mean, we've known for some time that Martin Maldonado was going to be added into the fold for the White Sox, but he officially yesterday Got the one-year deal for 2024 with an option for 2025. Share the details here in a little bit. But Maldonado spoke to White Sox reporters yesterday, and I wanted to bring some of this audio to you. Um, he's well regard—I mean, well regarded. Almost sells it short. He is regarded throughout baseball as one of the best clubhouse guys in the game. A very good defensive catcher who is coming off a down year defensively in 2023, but looking to rebound in 2024. His ability to handle a pitching staff has been talked about quite a bit at every stop he's made, and one of those stops was in Kansas City in 2019, where he worked pretty closely with Pedro Grifol, now the White Sox manager, of course. The ask of Martin Maldonado here in 2024 is going to be to post, you know, to, to catch as many games as they ask him to, be healthy. And that's something that, that Maldonado has been able to do um, throughout his entire season. He is one of five active catchers who's played at least 950 games. Uh, Jan Gomes has played 985. Yasmati Grandal, 1,043. JT Rudel Muto, 1,047. Maldonado, 1,060. And then the top guy on that list, Salvador Perez, with 1,200. Maldonado's also a top five in active 
lead, uh, a top five active leader in innings caught. Salvador Perez, again, atop of that list, a little over 10,000 innings caught. JT Realmuto will cross the 9,000 mark coming in 2024. And there's Martin Maldonado, third on the list, 8,663 and two-thirds innings. Yes, Martin Grandal and Jan Gomes, you know, pretty much the same list there. Uh, they are the only active catchers above 8,000 innings caught. So, I mean, this guy is, he's no spring chicken, sure, but he is also a very experienced catcher who knows how to handle a pitching staff, and that is going to be the ask of Martin Maldonado, is to take all of these pitchers at all these different states of their career, right? Whether you're Mike Soroka coming back from injury, trying to recapture top-tier form, or whether you're, just picking a name here, Nick Nestrini, perhaps making his Major League debut in 2024, Martin Maldonado is is supposed to be um, one of the, the two catchers on the roster and definitely the shepherd that's tasked with making sure that that starting five and the rest of the bullpen are able to uh, compete as best they can in terms of a game-planning standpoint. As far as the durability goes, Maldonado actually kind of had a, a couple of things to say about where or how he's he's been able to be so durable in his career. Again, like I mentioned, a top five in games caught, the top five in in innings caught in terms of active players. So here's how Maldonado stays so uh, available to his team. I love to play. You know, I know that position you you're never going to be 100 percent every day. So. I don't think anybody is 100% baseball um, because it's schedule. But, you know, I like to play the game. I like to be out there for, for my teammates. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of stretching, um, take care of my body. Uh, you know, I feel like the day that you don't play, that's probably the day that you, you do something cool. So I, I want to play pretty much every day. Man, think about that. Just kind of a... He's 37 years old. He's seen just about everything you can see. He's played for world championship winning teams, and he's still thinking about the day you don't play. That's the day something cool could happen. You you can hear in that conversation with White Sox beat reporters Maldonado's love for this game and and the reason he's drawn back to to you know running it back for another season for sure. He was asked by Daryl Van Scowen of the Sun-Times about his workload expectations. And, yeah, I mean, listen, if you heard the last answer, this one will make a lot of sense to you as well. You know, I'd be ready every day, man. Like, if you ask me, um, you know, I never, in my 12 years, I never asked for half a day. So, you know, as long as, you know, me and Pedro communicate, um, see where we at. But, you know, for me, I think I'm going to be there as much as they need me. You know, I feel like, you know, people are talking about catching, but it's, I, I used to play first base and put a couple of innings at first base. Like I get more tired playing first base than I do catching. So I think catching is more the mental um, part of the game that you get tired. I don't get tired physically. Um, it's more mental how you how to navigate to the lineup with the pitching stuff. Kind of reminds me of former White Sox Jose Abreu, a former teammate of Maldonado's, of course, with the Houston Astros last year. It's going to be the manager uh, forcing the player to take a day off, it sounds like. We remember Tony the Russo talking about how he was worried Abreu would get physical with him if he if he took him out of the lineup. Uh, I think he was joking. Um, but some players are just like that. Some players are built that way. Some players are wired that way. They're going to play. Otherwise, there's going to be problems.
Uh, Maldonado talked more uh, about kind of those expectations that we set up for him prior to playing some of this audio. You know, the idea that he's he's going to have to bring along some of these young players. And, and really, if you're looking for a theme to the additions to the roster Chris Getz has made so far this offseason, it's bringing in veterans who are at points in their careers where they want to produce, obviously, and win ball games, but also are at points where they're going to be able to to bring along the next crop of, of young, talented White Sox players, impactful White Sox players. And and Maldonado's got a setup like that, um, not just with Edgar Caro, the top, uh, the top catching prospect in the organization, but also with a guy that he knows pretty well in, in Corey Lee. Corey Lee was a minor leaguer in the Astros organization, worked with Maltine Maldonado in spring training a couple of times. Well, I'll just let Martine finish off the rest of the story about his expectations for for bringing guys like Corey and Caro. I have to work that one out. Corey and Caro along next year. So, me and, you know, me and Corey, we used to spend, you know, many time together, especially um, spring training last year, the uh, year before he got called out quite a bit. Um, you know, we know each other pretty good. We always keep in contact. And, uh, you know, as long as I can help, not only him, I feel like I can help other catchers um, how to work with pitchers and uh, be on the same page. I think that's what I'm looking for. You know, I'm looking forward for that. You know, I know I'm probably going to be talking a lot with Corey because we know each other, but it's not only him. I think I can help, you know, even Stassi. I can help all the other catchers just to... Um, you know, have the same goal. I think the same goal is our goal should be helping the pitcher get better on a daily basis. Again, his work with pitchers is what's been so heralded in his career, um, whether it be with the Astros or, or before that with the Royals and all the places he's played. He, he just kind of gets that reputation as a good quality game caller and a guy who mind melds well with his pitchers. He talked about how he's gone about building those relationships with pitchers at each of his stops. Uh, first of all, you gotta know the names. <laughs> the first thing you gotta know. But you know, just show them how what, what I do. You know, show him what I do and uh, make him believe and make him trust me. And uh, you know, have a single comedy, you know, conversation from you know could be from saying good morning, spring training. You know, just just as simple as it can be. Just try to build that relationship. I know he's. He's hard, especially at the beginning, but, you know, I think spring training gave me enough time to um, build that up. I think spring training will be really interesting for the White Sox this year. I think really any team that's got as many roster questions as the White Sox do in terms of yeah, who's going to make the pitching staff. I mean, they've got a lot of guys that could raise their hand and say, yeah, I, I can start ball games for you, but obviously only five of them are going to be in that rotation to start the season. Now, you're going to need a lot more, of course, and some of the guys are probably going to head down to AAA to make starts. Maybe Jordan Schuster is a guy who fits that. Um, maybe Chad Cool, a guy we talked about earlier on in the show. Um, maybe he fits that bill, too. Either way... There could be others who are in that rotation or, or, or ticketed for that rotation, don't make it, and have to go to a bullpen role. I, I think we're seeing a lot of teams kind of go to kind of that long relief swingman sort of thing of the 1970s and 1980s, kind of pop back into the mix. You know, not the same way, but a little bit the same as, as things used to be in terms of building out a pitching staff. So, you know, knowing how to have those conversations with those pitchers, knowing how to navigate a spring training with those guys, all of those guys, is a really important thing to Maldonado. And 
he kind of talked about why he feels he's been so successful in building those relationships. Uh, I would say my preparation and uh, the way I care about the pitching staff, I think the way um, I try to explain to, explain to him why and the reason why I do this and for why I do that. And, uh, and I've been, I've been blessing, um, you know, throughout my career, I've been working with a lot of great pitching staff and I uh, always learn something from everybody every time you you had that conversation on, you know, could be in between innings, could be after a bullpen, spring training, could be in the weight room, whatever. We have that conversation, I think, just understand what they want to do and uh, how you can con- contribute to that success. At the beginning of the cut, he, he mentioned his preparation. And if you remember... Whether it was Pedro Grafal when he came in, was announced the new manager of the White Sox by Rick Hahn, um, a former general manager, or you know throughout the season, one of the things that really got harped on at the beginning of last year was that the preparation needed to change for this team. And obviously a lot of things went on in 2023, a lot of unmet expectations to be sure. But one thing I think that did get accomplished, or at least began to be, get accomplished, by Pedro Gafol and the rest of his coaching staff, was changing the way that that preparation got done. And if Martin Maldonado is a guy who comes in here and at the very least establishes how that preparation needs to work in terms of a pitching, catching, you know, game planning kind of thing, that, that could be a very needed thing for this White Sox organization to kick things to the next level, to, to really make sure that you know, these good ideas, these changing ideas from um, 2022 to 2023 are cemented, uh, built up a little bit better, perhaps, and and enforced heading into games. And I, I think Martin Maldonado, being the vested veteran he is, is a, is a good a guy as any to help push that from a player's standpoint. Now, I, I thought, too, this is a really interesting one to me, and it's one that's been asked of many of the White Sox signees or uh, or trade targets or, or I guess guys that gotten in trades uh, from the Braves, what was shared about the vision for 2024 and beyond, whether it be um, with manager Pedro Gafol or Chris Getz. Maldonado detailed the conversations that he's had so far and what his expectations are for 2024 and beyond. Um, I think they have a they have a lot of young pitching staff in, in the minor leagues. I think they're going to help. Um, down the line, um, you know, like I always, like at time when I was in Houston, you know, people always talk about the 26 guy, but for you to win championship is more than 26 people, you know, have to be some minor leagues. And he had that vision of, you know, bringing guys with win experience. You know, I think that when you show that, especially with that, in that division, especially with the team, that lineup that, they, that we have, um, you know, it's, it's about to put it together. You know, it's about how we can get the best version of everybody. You know, Ben Attendee has won championship. Um, you know, a lot of guys there, they won, they won the division a couple of years ago. Um, and they know how to win. I think it is, you know, get had that vision of, you know, bringing people with experience of winning and uh, just to create that culture there of winning, you know, winning baseball games. Creating that culture is important. We've seen that. Um, obviously, having 
You know, a whole host of talent is important when it comes to winning ball games too. The cycle that the White Sox are in, though, finds them gathering players that know how this game needs to be played. And I think you're seeing that reflected in the types of players or the best skill sets of the players that Chris Getz has added to this ball club. He's looking for defensive, defense-first kind of guys. And and in a lot of circumstances, guys that have won before have been really good. I mean, maybe not won the whole thing necessarily. I'm thinking of Brett Phillips, who was uh, just signed to a minor league deal the other day. He was in the 2020 World Series with the Rays. Had that big hit, sent Randy Rosarena home to score. Well, I should be clear. It sent Randy Rosarena around third. He tripped, got back up, went back to third, tripped again, came back home, and then scored. And the Rays won. I think that was game two of the 2020 World Series. I remember watching that one after the season and thinking, I, I've never seen a game like end like that ever. It was absolutely bananas is what it was. Uh, and it was Brett Phillips that had that hit. Um, either way, building that culture, building that expectation of winning, and I think what goes along with that, and, and what you're not going to hear in, in press conferences like this necessarily, but you are going to hear from players like Martin Maldonado after losses, you know, because losses can happen during the season, even for teams that win 100, you lose 62. You're going to hear accountability, right? I, I think that's the other side of that coin. If, if you're sitting there thinking, well, we wanted more from the White Sox in 23, and where are we at in 2024? That's fair. But when you bring in a guy like Maldonado and, and lose a ball game by, hopefully it doesn't happen, but let's say you make a defensive mistake, you're thrown to the wrong base, it's things like that that pop up and, and hurt the White Sox' chances to win a particular ball game that day. It's a guy like Martin Maldonado, I would guess, who's able to say, I've been here before. Other teams have done this this way. This is not how this works. This is not how we win ball games. We got to be better than that. And and they're, it's not quite pointing a finger in the clubhouse, right? But it's being able to, as a group, with a collective goal, as a group with with one kind of mind in, in getting better, being able to address the parts that aren't going right. So that's Martin Maldonado. Thought it was worth bringing some of the audio from the player himself. I think you'll be hearing a lot from Maldonado as soon as we start spring training and then, of course, as we start the regular season. Looks like it's going to be him and Max Stassi as the top two catchers for the White Sox in 2024, as long as, hopefully, no injuries pop up between now and opening day, March 28th. we got more White Sox Weekly coming your way, so stick with us. I'm Connor McKnight. It's ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly on Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. Welcome back, and honestly, that is going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. went a little long in the first couple of segments. If you missed anything, you can download the ESPN Chicago app, download the show, and listen back to it at your leisure. I'm Connor McKnight. Big thanks to Jack McGrath. We'll talk to you next week here on ESPN 1000.